<clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of SpinCast. Today, we are joined by Devin, um, aka Crater, um, in the gaming world, the esports world. Um, he is a producer for CCS um, and a former producer for Challenger League, and hopeful for this upcoming Challenger League, but dependent on some things out of everyone's control, we shall see what face it um, does for that in particular. So without further ado, um, Crater, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us where your passion started in esports and in gaming in particular, and how you transition into the production side of esports and everything that goes in, um, involved with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, my, I guess, journey with Siege started, I mean, when I started, I thought I was kind of a late adopter into the game. But I mean, now in hindsight that the game is five years old, like I, I started end of year one. Um, so about Red Crow, if people know when that is. Um, I started out on console. And um, I think right off the bat, it was uh, definitely a game that like stood out to me. Like I've never been one to spend more than like 500 hours on a game really but mm -hmm. that first night when i when i got uh my copy of rainbow six we played for about like 12 hours only really stopping to like eat so it was definitely just that like something's different about this game for me personally and mm -hmm. later on me and a couple xbox friends tried to we didn't really know what we were doing but we tried to like make like a team we didn't really go very far but eventually what happened is i i started I moved over to PC. Uh, we started playing on PC because the game just the game feels completely different, honestly. Like having mm -hmm. the different like pacing for it. Um, exactly. Yeah. So then, just by random chance, a friend of a friend knew someone who was like who was in charge of a like a amateur competitive team, <clears throat> and so through that, I kind of made my way into the competitive scene just as a substitute player but just having that experience and being exposed to that side of the game like i was finally like opened up to this whole level of like this is where all the esports stuff was because before i i had no idea i mean i watched a couple like pro league vods but i didn't really know like how someone breaks into that and now i'm exposed to this whole side of things um as a player i wasn't like <laughs> the most successful but I noticed that there are like, of course, other ways to get involved. There's, there's casting, observing, and, and so on. So I, you know, went around to different leagues um, and I started as a caster and then just, well, so at the lower level, right? Casting, observing, producing, it's kind of all just one job. Yeah, for sure. So I ended up kind of building the skills for, for everything here and there. Um, and then this one job I got, it was um, basically this best of five grand finals with, uh, if anyone knows Sternab, Sternab was casting. Mm -hmm. um, and my job was, I was the, basically all the production and the observing. And I mean, that whole match in and of itself, like I could spend a whole you know podcast talking about that. But the long story short is based on that job, like a year later, Sternab comes back to me all of a sudden or when when he's looking for a challenger league producer I decided to just kind of take a chance on it and he comes back to me and just even though I didn't have much experience based on that one like chance encounter he's basically just gave me the job and then from there I mean the rest is uh pretty much like history I mm -hmm. produced for season nine of challenger league uh decided I wanted to 
do more in that and focus kind of more solely on that. Uh, through that, I got a job at CCS and I've been doing productions for CCS. Um, they haven't been doing their main like league lately, but they've been doing um, like other contracted jobs like Viking Gaming League, if anyone mm -hmm. knows about that or the Down But Not Out event that we just did. Um, so stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then I also came back to do season, some of season 10 and then all of season 11 for the North American Challenger League. And yeah, now I'm just looking for the next uh, thing. Yeah, Siege is in that transitionary period right now where people aren't quite sure what face it's going to decide and all kind of that good stuff. So, you know, hopefully you get the spot you want. Um, uh, obviously, we're rooting for you. So hopefully that all that comes to fruition. So kind of my first question on the production side of things, because I think that's something so interesting to the general public that doesn't, it just isn't exposed to it. Take us through like, you know, what your setup is, um, how you operated it and your approach into producing for a siege match, right? Just pick any, you know, CCS right. league match or whatever, challenger league match. And just right. talk us through like what that day looks like, how you prep, how you make sure that everything's in the right place. Um, and then also the really important parts or in your, or your opinion, the most important parts of that entire process. Right. Okay. So um, one of the, I guess, benefits of being an online or remote producer is you kind of get uh, you're kind of the whole like studio, I guess, minus the mm -hmm. observer. So like a, a normal studio broadcast will have like a separate replay operator, graphics operator, you know, so on and so forth. Um, I do kind of all of that, but it means that some things are, are simpler to run as well. So uh, I guess a normal process would be um, I have everything kind of set up beforehand. I, I mostly use vMix now. Mm -hmm. um, and so through vMix, I make sure that all of the different like all the different scenes kind of or, or screens that I want to have set up make sure those are set up I'll run through transitions make sure that's good that's all like pre-production you know I'll design and I'll um, animate the graphics that, that go on as well um, and then on the day it's mostly just making sure that the caster feeds are coming in properly and the observer feed is coming in properly and everyone can kind of communicate with each other properly. But as a, as the producer, um, I'm kind of the final like assembly point where the mm -hmm. entire stream comes together. So any, any transition, any screen that uh, an audience member will look at, that's, that's kind of mainly the job of the, the producer to make sure that's all good. And I'll also be directing casters to uh, what to talk about, what's going to come next, um, things like that. Awesome, awesome. Um, so from that production standpoint, you think, I think the audience can start to see all the level of complexities within that um, in particular. Um, kind of switching a little bit, um, looking towards the game developers, right? Um, don't want like. Uh, I don't want to phrase it the wrong way, but the uh, uh, game developers, right? They all, they hold the key to the game, so to say, right? right? So what do you want to see more of from, you know, Ubisoft or Siege in particular, that's your main game, obviously, right. to help, you know, production kind of bring it to the next level, right? So to speak, because I think, you know, obviously without their help, production can only go so far. With right, of course. So what tools, like over your experience, do you think they could implement to really bring production up to that next level and keep it growing uh, positively? Right. Um, yeah, it's definitely an important thing to talk about. And I've, I've thought about it a lot as far as production goes. Observers as well. You ask any observer, they have this entire list of things that they want to improve, like camera controls, certain 
certain um, elements on the, the HUD as well to make things easier from a, both a viewer perspective and an observer perspective. Specifically, though, as a producer, the biggest thing, if you watch a game, it, it's mostly Valve that does this, I think, but if you watch like Counter-Strike and Dota, the actual HUD that you're looking at is, apart from a couple elements like the kill feed and like maybe outlines, it's not actually coming from inside the game. The game isn't making those graphics. It's actually the graphics operator who's designed that HUD and they're using files from the game. And I've, I've talked about it a lot, but um, basically the, the Siege Spectator UI is, is baked into the game. It's from the game. Mm -hmm. And um, adding, if, if they add an option instead to make your own kind of graphic for that and uh, using files from the game to, to update those graphics, I think that'll be a huge uh, help to production. Because one of the big advantages that, I mean, esports has over traditional sports is that everything is software, everything is numbers. So it's a lot easier to communicate from inside the game to to just another piece of software mm -hmm. since it's all there. And I think a, there's a lot of um, creativity that can come from that as well. So I guess, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing I'd want to see from a developer standpoint is just the ability to kind of use the game's data and and update your own, especially for statistics as well. Being able to actually monitor what's happening in game could make mm -hmm. things a lot easier. Yeah, make a lot of things more inherent because I know like our production, you know, is not near as complex. Um, like we do everything through OBS, um, right. but you know, manually manually entering every data point. You know, there you only have so many data points before you just don't have time to enter any new data exactly out of it, and then it's going to be backlogged, backdated, and it's just going to look terrible. So yeah. totally see everything on that side and on the you know user capabilities right i think it would even like you said enhance creativity because then all of a sudden if you have a hundred people kind of playing with all these aspects of new overlays right. and graphics then like you're probably gonna get like a pretty good pool of things to pick from to build something really really special so that kind of goes to my next question is if in a perfect world right with everything you've done what do you think siege like absolutely needs from that ui perspective that you think would really hit it off um, from any, just pick one thing that you think would be like, wow, this sets Siege apart really as high production in that esports sense. Man, it's it's hard to pinpoint it to just to just one thing that would really yeah. um, propel it forward. There's, I mean, and well, a thing that's really nice about a game like Siege as well is that the developers haven't been too afraid to make drastic changes to the game. Mm -hmm. sometimes it'll take longer than people might like but that's kind of just how development works things take time but mm -hmm. but i mean if you if you look at siege two years ago it's drastically different from siege right now like graphics there's always graphics updates there's always like siege can continue to look like a modern game and i think that's that's really important if they do want the game to last as long as they're they're saying they do um as far as a, a ui graphics perspective i think um a big thing that can help uh, newer players, especially getting used to the game, um, is a mini-map. That's, mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of people have asked for. And the tricky thing with, with Siege is it's not laid out like other games, where a map will be very kind of flat and one, like, two-dimensional. One floor. Right, right. Siege has their, you know, many floors and, and different rooms on each floor. But um, maybe that, that could be something. Um, Another thing is like how CSGO highlights grenade paths. That's another mm -hmm. thing that 
Could, yeah. But yeah, I think I think for new players, a big hurdle that you have to kind of jump over is the just learning the structure of the um, the map so that like as an experienced player, I, I was experienced as a player before I even watched CG, uh, CG sports. So when an observer switched from one player to another, I could tell where their position was on the map just from knowing the map myself. But yeah. a newer player is going to be a lot more confused. Exactly. Um, so I think, yeah, a mini map is something that could, could seriously help uh, yeah. newer play, uh, yeah. viewers especially. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that goes back to like you know having that unlocked UI, right? Where yeah. you, people could just keep throwing in three D rendered models of the map and try to play and plug in and just see if someone hits that jackpot, right? Where it's like, wow, that actually looks pretty good, and it does. It kind of captures it in that three D scale because you know Siege is played in such a three D atmosphere, right? I mean, every right. game is obviously, but like the level of verticality just makes it very difficult because like people can be on top of each other, and you're like. Why isn't one of them dead? Like, this makes no sense um, yeah. in that, you know, in a 2D plan. Um, kind of just describing that for the viewers. Right. Um, kind of switching gears um, for the last couple of questions here. Mm -hmm. um, kind of going back to the beginning, right? You said you used to produce, um, observe, and cast. What right. was like, I don't know if there was a defining moment or like a decision that you made or an experience that really highlighted why production is so you know, rewarding to you and why you chose to be that producer rather than kind of pursuing one of the other alternate options. Um, and on top of that, um, kind of explain just your import or the importance of a really good producer in the sense of esports production. Right. Um, there, I, I don't know if there was a, a very clear defining moment, but I did notice that the, the, the caster observer producer you know, combined workflow was very kind of frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, it was, I had to shift attention a lot, um, you know, controlling the graphics, controlling the game and having to give uh, interesting commentary is, was very strenuous. And um, then I started hearing things about kind of a workflow that people had developed where they were able to remotely um, send an observer feed to someone else who could also receive caster feeds and kind of put it all together and how so so mainly my first um kind of what piqued my interest was the idea that oh this could be a lot less strenuous on everyone's you know uh computers it can also just be mm -hmm. less strenuous in, in general um as far as i think what caused me to stick with producing over anything else is um I have a, a film background, mm -hmm. so specifically, I'm I'm in college right now for animation and visual effects, um, and the just the idea of motion graphics, I think, is a big thing that the two kind of share in common, and I I, I kind of enjoyed the idea of kind of, I guess, building a, a film live like right mm -hmm. right in front of you. It was a nice yeah. kind of um, you still get to have all those principles of like timing, pacing, um, and, and things like that. Uh, but you're doing it kind of more hands-on rather than like just, you know, spending hours on it. But then once you do it, it's done. And then you just, mm -hmm. that's it. It's not yeah. live anymore. So I think that's, that's really what, um, I think appeals to me about, uh, production is just that idea of, being able to be more directly involved in kind of making it as it happens and it's uh yeah yeah 
Yeah, hundreds. I can really see that. I can relate to that kind of storyline of like making that event in real time, right, live. And like with that film background, I can see that like, hey, you really are kind of telling a story, especially for bigger events, right? Like, you know, something like a, a major or an invitation or a finals for CCS, like those bigger um, leagues. You kind of like create the narrative, right? Show the graphics at the right time, replays, video, like hype videos, all that kind of stuff, pace it out. Right. And all of a sudden you're making the event way more special to the viewers that can't be physically at the event. Obviously very relevant right now, being that no one can be at any event, right. um, sadly. Um, so yeah, really, really cool uh, perspective there for sure. Um, unfortunately, we are running out of time. My last question for you is, what piece of advice would you have for a high school student that, you know, loves playing the game, wants to be involved in esports, but, you know, may just not have the inherent talent to make it professional, right? But they still want to be involved at that professional level at some level. Um, so what advice would you have for them to start exploring opportunities like production, casting, et cetera, in your experience? Um, what advice would that be for them to kind of stay on that path and trajectory um, to be exposed to all these different other opportunities? Yeah, of course. Um, the, the, there's, a, there's a joke that uh, people who cast, they only cast because they just can't play the game. Um, and while, you know, in some extent, there's, that's kind of, kind of true. Um, people who don't necessarily feel like they have the drive or motivation or, or inherent skill to play professionally, but still want to be involved in an esport at a professional level, um, they explore other other things. But on the other side of things too, esports is kind of it requires every everything. You need mm -hmm. players, you need casters, you need production, you need observers, you need spectators uh, as well. All of it's it's all kind of part that the the system doesn't really work without all of those um pieces so there's it's definitely there's uh actually a lot more demand than people might think for mm -hmm. um broadcast talent and it, it also allows you to bring a separate skill set into the game i mean like for me personally there's my visual effects and graphic design background that i can now involve into the game so it's kind of like combining passions in a sense same same thing about people who um like to be a personality like to give a voice to a game that's what you know casting is really about people who observing as well is actually a lot more similar to producing than people might think um to the point where uh, another name for observer that's going around is an in-game director so mm -hmm. as, as far as in-game is concerned they're the producer of that mm -hmm. kind of story so yeah. it's it's those different kinds, and, and of course there's, you know, analysts, coaches, uh, stats, people, like all of these different kinds of skill sets that can all be put to use around um, an eSport. So it's it's really about finding, finding something that you feel like you can give, um, uh, like something that you feel you can do really well mm -hmm. and just kind of exploring that. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more because I was kind of like the, make the point that like, you know, you know, you're a professional producer, right? There are professional casters, there's professional players. I just think the connotation of those three, three, three things, if you say you're a professional player, people are like, whoa, you must have all this following and clout and blah, 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 right? right? While like, oh, well, I'm a professional coach. They're so like, eh, that's kind of cool. Or professional yeah. analyst, eh, that's kind of cool. So I think it's just connotation. Um, but I love to kind of how you show that, like, hey, there's the ability to be the best at all of these, right? Um, and really help produce or cast or whatever 
um, in that those different aspects to really bring the entire event or the entire league or tournament um, to like a really great quality, which just helps grow esports in general. And it'll bring esports to where it is now, really big, growing really fast to the world's competition, right? So that's an awesome, awesome there. Unfortunately, we are at a time, great discussion, a number of things, kind of showing behind the scenes, um, you know, not what every player sees. I mean, they actually are seeing it when you turn on Twitch. You just don't realize that someone's actively right. playing it um, at that level of complexity, um, for sure. So real fast, um, Devin Crater, go ahead, plug yourself, tell us where we can find you, um, where we can keep up to date on your work, um, and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I am mainly on Twitter at Crater, K-R-A-T-Y-R. Um, and also, you could probably follow my work through CCS. I think they're at CCS Esports. Mm -hmm. um, I'll also be, you know, retweeting stuff. But yeah, if you want to find me there, or you can, you know, go to the CCS Twitch channel or, but mostly at yeah, Twitter. Twitter is where you can find me. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Once again, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast. Hopefully this shows um, the audience just a little bit more of the complex layers behind esports um, beyond just the playing uh, uh, aspect, so to say. To all the viewers and listeners and you as well, Devin, stay healthy and stay happy during these very difficult times with the current pandemic. And ultimately, stay plugged in. Mm -hmm.